When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on Wednesday, September 1st. The Cubs and Twins wrapping up a quick two-game set on Tuesday and Wednesday up in Minnesota. The Cubs taking both of these games. The Cubs score just three runs in each of these two games, but the pitching does enough to make that hold up. So, Brendan, we've been kind of monitoring the draft position, the tank, if you will, and all that other good stuff. And I think in two games, what we may have learned, despite the Cubs coming in to this series uh, with a slightly worse win percentage than the Twins, you can't make too big of a conclusion on two games, but I, I think what we learned is that the Cubs are bad. The Twins might be worse. How much are you looking forward to this season ending, Corey? Like I can, I can sense it in your tone. Like you're so ready for this season to be over. There's been, yeah. So we we turn the calendar to September today on on Wednesday. It's about 10 p.m. in Chicago as we record this. Uh, the Cubs do have three games to begin October to finish the season against the Cardinals, but for all intents and purposes, we're in the final month, I suppose, of Cubs baseball here stretch. for 2021. And yeah, like there's been some fun stuff, you know, like I think it's been fun to watch what might ultimately conclude in a rookie of the year campaign for Patrick Wisdom. So I'm not like itching for that to end. It's It's been enjoyable watching some of these individual things going on. But yeah, like this is a year that I, unfortunately, I think for a lot of reasons, I'll never be able to forget but I, I kind of wish that wish that I could. And so I guess it ending is the closest we're going to get to that. To be honest with you, though, like I'm watching these games and I kind of have that spring training Arizona Fall League feel to them. I like those games. Like I'm not saying I like the Cubs losing like this, but when you watch these September games and you have Alistair like coming in, Steele with like low pressure, the stakes aren't high. If they lose, so be it. I don't know. It's kind of nice to watch stress-free baseball in in a weird way. I don't know what that I don't know what that says about me, but I mean, I'm not really ready for the season to to end yet. I I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know. You seem like you're in a weird place. Um just ba- just based on talking to you and and knowing you and reading your tweets, you're very melancholic about the former Cubs and what they're doing on a nightly basis, but apparently you are somewhat optimistic and uh, stress-free, which I'm sure no one listening to this <laughs> believes at all. Uh, watching the I'm current being Cubs. serious. I'm being serious. I don't know. It's like it's nice to see what Rivas can do. I think it's nice to see what some of these bullpen guys can do. I've been enjoying watching Cody Hoyer pitch. Really interesting. Rowan Wick coming back has been fun. Schwindel going off is fun. Wisdom continuing to do well is good to see. It's it's. 
it has that spring training feel. It's only like four more or five more weeks to go. It's not that big of a deal. Of course, I want to forget this season, uh, but there's going to be a void pretty soon here. Like October is going to suck. November is going to suck. And so in the current moment, like post-trade deadline, this is the least stress I've ever been with the Cubs in the past like five years, Corey. It's kind of nice. That's all. So it seems one could argue that the Cubs not being good is better it's, for your yeah, mental it's health. better for me. Yeah, no doubt about it. I've always said that. I've always said I like watching Arizona Fall League. I hate watching the playoffs. The World Series sucks. I did not have fun during the World Series. I had a great time, but no, you no did I didn't. Um, are, you, are you kidding me? The, seven, the seventh game, Corey. Yeah, I, mean, I had a good no. time when I was sure that, that Rizzo caught that ball uh, and the umpire punched him out. Up until that point, I was an absolute wreck. Anyway, this is an interesting start to this podcast. I will say, though, hold on. I will say, though, I did not expect to be here, like, in terms of uh, being okay with watching these games. Like, I kind of expected to tune out a little bit, but I I mean, I don't think anyone expected Schwindel to be interesting, sure. you know, wisdom to keep doing this. So in that respect, I'm a little surprised we're even here right now. Yeah, well, and I mean, I I suppose there's scenarios where what we're watching on a daily basis is worse and not as interesting and, you know, devoid of kind of any potential future implications. So yeah. I suppose it's, it's better to not be in that spot. But... Let's uh, take a look back at these couple games. Not gonna, not gonna do the full recap here for you. Although, I mean, a three to one game and a three to nothing game, it won't take me that long to do anyway. Um, but want to first start by highlighting where a lot of this offense came from in this series, and that is off the bat of Frank Schwindel, who homers in both of these games, his seventh coming in the game on Tuesday and his eighth coming in the game on Wednesday. The eighth uh, that came on Wednesday was of the three-run variety, so all of the runs in Wednesday's game coming off the bat of Frank Schwindel. His OPS sitting at 944 with a 306 batting average now for the Chicago Cubs. He DH'd uh, in the game on, in both of these games, excuse me. And I guess my question to you, Brendan, is, is Frank Schwindel the best player in baseball history? Your answer, please. Yeah, 100%, no doubt about it. Was that, was that a rhetorical question, Corey? Yeah, absolutely. The answer is obviously yeah. yes. Yeah. But it's like, seriously, though, he's 29 years old. And to, at, at first, I didn't want to even think about Schwindel. You, I don't, uh, was, I don't know if our audience knows this. Well, I can't remember if this happened well, why on air. You, well, don't throw I am going to throw bus, you under the bus why? on air here. Because why? when he I came never over do this and started hitting well... I texted Brendan and was like, what's going on with this dude? What do we think about this? And I think because it was post-trade deadline, I think this is fair. I don't think this is throwing you under the bus. You just really weren't interested in this. I wasn't. Right. Sorry. And so I I just wanted on record for our listeners that of the two of us, I was on Schwindel before you. Maybe you would have been interested. You this. just were not in. You were not in a place uh, mentally to receive that information. You're. I mean, you're texting me. Oh, what about Frank Schwindel? Like three days after Rizzo's traded, Corey. Like, what do you want me to say at that? No, point? I. I get it. I get it. But okay, 
I'm just making yeah. I'm just making the point clear. I I mean I got a roundish window like really fast though. Like right right when the fog kind of cleared out and I, I got over, I'm like, all right, you know, I see the peripherals. And then you see guys like Kevin Goldstein, former scouting director for the Astros, who's been hyping him up on Twitter. And, and to have that type of backing should at least magnify his potential. But I think he, I think he's interesting in, in a realistic sense, not being funny here. He's 29. He's never had a shot before. And he's one of those rare hitters who does not strike out, but hits for above average power, well above average power. So I think you have to be interested in that. I mean, his numbers with Oakland this year in AAA in 200 plate appearances, he had a strikeout rate of under 17%, and he hit 16 homers in, again, those 200 plate appearances. So that's that's interesting. I think it should signal that he has potential for this team. Uh, and when you couple that with what you see from Rivas and his ability to walk in the double digits, I, I mean, I'm thinking maybe in a weird way, depending on how the market turns out, like first base, I mean, I want to bring Rizzo back, don't get me wrong, but in, in, a, in an alternative universe, you can kind of see a Schwindel Rivas, I don't want to call it a platoon, but a strategic use of playing, usage of playing time might actually pan out, right? Like you get Rivas against a pitcher who's a good matchup for him with that on-base percentage, that has a high likelihood of going to value that that could work out. And then with Schwindel, similarly, against a pitcher who maybe he has a better power potential against, that could work out as well. Um, so for, in that sense, like for the rest of the season, the next five weeks or so, I think that's a, a really worthwhile trend to monitor that does have implications for next season. Can I say something that might uh, lead to you quitting this podcast? Sure. Can I just share a stat, rather? Sure. Okay. I'm just um, a little scared because I mean you've never said that before. But go if ahead. you, I'm just look. This is just a stat. What kind of I, stat is? I'm this? just sharing a, a stat. I thought I messed up. Okay. I I messed no, no, no. Up. I'm right. just. I All have right. a, a stat comparison. I, this is just me sharing this. I'm not offering any thought on it. Well, Where did you get this stat? I don't even want to hear it. Let's, this is like. T- I was tipped off to it by friend of the podcast Matt Clapp at the Blog Finds on Twitter. But he just tweeted about it? No. So in 105 plate appearances for the Chicago Cubs in 2021, Frank Schwindel has been worth about one win above replacement. (laughs) Okay. In 376 plate appearances for the Chicago Cubs in 2021, Anthony Rizzo was worth one win above replacement. But why? I mean, why do you have to even bring that up? What's why? (laughs) I just think it's interesting. I mean, you just, you just, I mean, throw me under the bus. You just bash me for bringing these guys up late at night. Like, I don't want to hear this at all. Well, and I, now you bring okay, them on I this led podcast with in front of thousands might, of people. This, this might you bother do. you, but I just, I mean, think it's I, it really does. It bothers me for multiple reasons. I knew but that it I mean, would. Yeah. I mean, you just, you just called me out for doing basically the same thing off air, but that's fine. Um, I mean, listen, in, in a long term scenario, like bringing back Rizzo is the most projectable thing you can do at that position. Yes. And for that, pri- and for that price tag, it seems like a no brainer. That being said, if we're going to operate in this type of context with what the Cubs have been doing lately, it seems at this point more likely they're not going to go back to Rizzo. It just kind of seems that's where it is. Now, I hope I'm, I'm, hope I'm wrong. And I'm, in my mind, I'm like, I'm already thinking he's coming back, even though it's not maybe as likely. But in case he doesn't, 
you can see right now with Wishwindel's ability to hit, and if the DH does in fact come after the new CBA negotiations, where Rivas and Schwindel at first base at a cheap option allows the Cubs to spend elsewhere, maybe in the outfield, maybe to get another starting pitcher. And if that's just sliding in like 2.53 war at that first base position in order to improve elsewhere, I'm into that idea in a weird way. I'm into that idea. Yeah, and so jokes aside, I only read that stat because I think it just highlights how strong of a start here that Schwindel has had. I just thought it was funny. Obviously, I don't think Frank Schwindel is better than Anthony Vincent. I mean, you kind of implied that. That is not what I implied uh, at all. But it's, yeah, I mean, to me, my read on this right now is I'm not expecting any of those guys back. I think the way that things we we didn't get into well, which guys Rizzo or, yeah the or, the three oh, of them okay. Rizzo Bryant and and Javi uh, we we didn't See, get I into be, I, don't, the, I don't believe that but okay we we didn't get into the the fracas that was Javi and the New York Mets fans and stuff and frankly I just don't want to talk about the New York Mets on this podcast um, but obviously that was very stupid and doesn't seem to bode well for Javi wanting to sign a deal there and and continue to play there and have his family there and stuff like that. But, you know, sometimes that stuff, if the price is right and, you know, playing with Lindor, who knows? So I I think maybe that I've seen the rumblings of like, okay, this doesn't seem to be a match made in heaven here. So maybe if uh, the price was right, would he go back to the Cubs? Um, you know, especially with now we're, it, it's kind of a seeming more likely that Nico is not going to get back out there this year. And if he does, Ugh. it's only going to be for maybe the last couple weeks of this season. So perhaps that reunion is more possible. I'm, I've moved on from Bryant for sure. Um, Rizzo, I would love to have him back. I Why think do you mean for sure? Just because he likes San Fran so much? Well, and you know his, his contract just seemed to be the biggest, and it just seems unlikely. Um, we have money. I mean, like we could do it. They had money to extend them all before they traded them too. So I that doesn't seem to matter. Um, but right. I I think that you're. Your way of looking at it, I I think, is kind of the best way I've found to handle all of this at the moment. I'm assuming they are all not going to be back. Maybe they revisit those conversations, etc. But for the moment, you kind of have to look at what the Cubs have here and see if that might not not be replacing those guys, but just as you transition into a year that doesn't figure to be your utmost competitive um, can you fill these gaps in? And I think, you know, you look at third base, we talked about Patrick Wisdom, we talked about him in a starting role context in the last episode. And, you know, with Schwindel, obviously you want to see what happens with the DH, because I think he's he's better suited to that. He's not really a strong glove there at first base. He's not a disaster but not a strong defender rating negatively if you look at some of those defensive metrics. Especially compared to Rivas, who like looks like a legitimate Right, and especially there. compared yeah. to Rizzo, where you've been getting you know platinum glove I level know. first base play yes, over there. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. So I think it's interesting, but... And and this is true, and we'll we'll talk about like Steele and Adbert Alzali, who came back on Wednesday and came out of the bullpen... I think as long as you're seeing productive stuff from these guys, you can figure out the roles 
at a later date, right? Like Jed Hoyer is not going to have to fill out a 2022 starting lineup in the next month. And you just want the best idea of what these guys can do. And if what Schwindel is showing you is that he can hit, great. You, you keep that in mind, you factor that in, and you see what happens with the free agent market. You see who's available via trade and things like that. And you know you, you keep all of these factors in line, but the one thing you just want to be happening is guys doing productive stuff and, and showing you something. And I think that, you know, if you were looking at a platoon type situation with Schwindel or looking at him as the DH, it, you know, he's only at 129 plate appearances on the year, only, um, you know, 109 for the Cubs, 20 of them coming with Oakland. So it, it's still a smallish sample, but this is why you pick up a guy like Schwindel, like they did earlier in the year and bring him over. And this is why you give him the opportunities because he's showing you that he's he's been able to put up a, a full win above replacement in 109 plate appearances. So clearly there yeah. is something there and something worth continuing to explore. It, it kind of passes the eye test too, right? You watch Wendell's at-bats, especially against those Twins pitchers. In the last home run he had was a fastball up and in, in on his hands, and he turns on it right away like you don't need numbers to at least be like huh that's interesting that he's doing that and I know some of the underlying metrics that you do see on Schwindel in his sample with the Cubs it's a little little variable and his expected Woba for example with the Cubs is around 335 whereas his actual Woba is basically 400 so there's quite a big of a quite big of a difference between those two numbers so the question then is asked, is he getting lucky? Is that just a fluke? Or is what he's doing actually indicative of what we can expect going forward? So if you look at his expected weighted on base average throughout his time with the Cubs, the first about week and a half or so, his expected WOBA was around 320-ish. But ever since that period, which I think is now dating about two and a half weeks from today, his expected WOBA has been basically stable, uh, around 390 over his last, this is now, what is this, 75 plate appearances. So that's suggesting that at the early onset when he's up with the Cubs, yeah, he was not hitting the ball that hard or hitting the ball in locations that typically correlate to extra base hits. But now, in his last 75 plate appearances, he is doing that. And he's doing that even more recently with these home runs. So in that sense, I think it is interesting. And I don't know, I don't know if you can expect, oh, I know you can't expect this level of performance going forward. But again, it goes back to the point of what if you can actually be like a 330 to 350 Woba guy. And right now, the projections actually think that's realistic. Steamer has them at a WRC plus for the rest of the season at 100 league average value. And so you might get league average offensive value for about, what is it now, $600,000 a year, and you couple that with Rivas, who's making the same exact salary, you may be getting a total sum value of first base in a perfect world around like three wins for a million dollars. That might free you up to go get other free agents in positions that you need, like maybe center field, maybe shortstop, but that's where they ultimately try to figure out how to improve. So I... That's where my mind is right now, right? You still, 
want to see how Schwindel performs for the rest of the season. And there's still a lot that could change many people's minds. But we're kind of on the track right now where we're going to be entering a free Asian market in November and December where this is going to be a legitimate conversation. This will not be the last time we talk about this, Corey. Yeah, so, you know, you also kind of look at this from the perspective of, and we've talked about this before, just trying to build that depth a little better from within, right? And I kind of think of 2020 now, of course, 2020 was a, a very strange year, and it's hard to kind of read into a lot of those numbers, but the Cubs did not get good production out of that DH spot in 2020. And... Oftentimes it was Victor Caratini or sometimes, you know, Wilson Contreras when they wanted to give him a break. Um, but the the production wasn't very good. Looking on fan graphs, you know, the, the DH position for the Cubs had an 86 WRC plus. So below average, a 300 Woba from that position, whoever was in the DH spot on a given day, right? So one way to look at guys like Schwindel is not necessarily that the Cubs need to go into the season next year with him as their starting first baseman. Like, obviously, really, even no matter what he does the rest of the year, that's obviously a big risk and not specifically the type of move you'd like to see a a big market team making, right? But what you can count on, I think, at least at a baseline level, is can we build that depth from within so that the guys getting spot starts or filling in if guys get hurt or playing DH every now and again, even if it's in some sort of rotation, are giving you better production than we've seen from those spots in past years. And I think in, in, a, in a recent episode, you know, I, I mentioned how we've seen so much of guys like Almora and Sogard and Descalso, etc. And the production just wasn't there from those guys. And even if you can solve some of those issues with what you're doing for the rest of this season here, that's productive. Is, yeah. And if you have to go and spend on starters or try different things as starters, that that's something for Jed Hoyer to figure out at another time. But if you can go in with quality depth you know, even like it it took until the Cubs brought in Robinson Chirinos to feel like you had that at the backup well, feel, spot. And we saw how much of a toll that took not only on Wilson, but just the team in general from getting such terrible production from the backup catcher spot this entire year up until they, they sold off and then ultimately brought in Chirinos, who's, who's been a nice surprise back there. But it, it's just an example of even if you can just fill depth and answer some questions beyond the initial starting eight or nine guys, that's valuable too. And maybe that's what Schwindel is is offering up here, if not hopefully something more. The only issue I have is the defensive inflexibility. And that's why I was, and it's not going to happen because of the injury, but that's why I was interested in even Bodie. Like we talked about this about 10 days ago. And you have no... I mean, you have to compare all these guys. But when you look at Bodie, he can play multiple positions, second base, third base. I'm sure if he was asked to, he could probably play first base. And we saw him even in, I think, left field at some point. Maybe maybe that was just my imagination. But with Schwindel, he's kind of first base or bust. So in that sense, it it's unfortunate. Yeah. Even with the DH coming, I, I liked how... The concept in 2020 was to mix and match Vic and Wilson. I like that. I like that because 
especially for Wilson, if we're going to rely on his bat for 2022 and beyond as a major staple in this lineup, then you need to protect him somehow. And I'm worried that if he doesn't get that type of protection, you cannot slot him in every day in your cleanup spot, even fifth spot. It's just not possible for catchers these days. So I like to keep the DH spot if it does end up coming to the NL a little bit more flexible. Just kind of riffing on the Madrigal Nico thought, and I, I think we've talked about this a little bit, but you kind of rope in now that you have these questions at all these other positions, and it is rather interesting. And, you know, one of the things they were talking about was Madrigal's natural position is second base. He can't, you know, play shortstop or anything like that. But he also might be an option to play some DH if that does come to the National League. And one of the things that I think Ryan Dempster brought up was the that yes, you know, second base is Madrigal's natural spot, but Nico is a gold glover there, or a gold glove, you know, potential player there. We've seen that. He rates that way. And so do you want to move him off of that? because that's where Madrigal is more comfortable. Do you not want to? And, you know, then you get into, okay, well, we want this guy to DH, but what about this guy? And it it all is more complicated. And I mentioned before, um, you know, they reported today that Nico's not really closer to getting on that rehab assignment. So as the calendar flips to September, that does sort of mean, okay, well, there's not that much time left. So if he doesn't get out there soon, he's not going to get out there and you're going to be closer to, you know, potentially just shutting him down for health reasons. It's all just to say that not being able to get even a, a month's look at him as the everyday shortstop, right, or trying him out in the outfield as they've done before a little bit, you're not going to get any kind of clue. Which is, a, which is so truly a shame, it, right? Like of all things that I yeah, wish we could have known going into the offseason, my number one was Alice Alai, like dating back to last May. Like I really wanted to know what we had in Alice Alai. And I feel as if we do with a good degree of confidence. The second player was Nico. And it's just, it's very, right. very disappointing. It's out of his control, right? But it's just very disappointing that this will be his second year without hitting a home run on a major league baseball team. Again, out of his yeah. control, but like yeah. you do have to factor that into how you're thinking about this. Yeah. No, of course. And, I, you know, and again, like this is, I think we've talked about this, but I, it's just on my mind because they were talking about it in the booth tonight. And, you know, the way that I think Ryan Dempster finished off the conversation was just saying, like, you, you can't be sure about what you're seeing, but you really would have liked to just be able to see yeah, Nico. And, and he was saying it in the context of wishing that Madrigal were healthy as well. Because he was just saying it would be nice to just see for a consistent period of time, even a short one, just how do you feel about this yeah. every day, right? What does the team look like? How does the defense look? How does it all feel with Nico at short every day or Nico in center field every day if you wanted to try that and Madrigal at second and where they are in the lineup and you just don't have a look at that. And so, yeah, it's 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 a real shame and it's going to be interesting to see how Jed Hoyer kind of plans around that and, and where those guys kind of factor into I mean, see, all of the plans because we know they pretty, will. pretty significant, you know, I'm th- thinking about this right now. Like, this is a major issue, right? Like, if you have to go out and, well, I guess if you want to, if you intend to compete in 2022, then you, you have to find a way to improve shortstop. That, that's just... 
from a projectability point of view, I like Nico style, I like Madrigal, uh, but there is a, a degree of volatility there that you just can't predict. So if you do want to compete in 2022 of the positions right now, like the ones that have the most uncertainty are shortstop and probably center field, right? And so you can kind of flip a coin of which one do you want to improve there right now. But let's say you end up signing a shortstop. All right, well, then you have no center fielder. So is Nico going to go there? And then if you don't sign that shortstop, then do you accept the risk of having Nico there? Well, I was going to say, I know a guy who's been getting booed in New York, so uh, perhaps, perhaps he might be interested. Uh, or I, I, I think Christian Hernandez hit two home I mean, runs I'm, in the I'm Dominican Summer that. League the other day. Yeah, you could I'm just bring him up. He's only 17, but, yeah. you know, go for he it. looks like yeah. he's already like 25, <laughs> so go for it. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of the, the Frank Schwindel offense thoughts. Other than that, I think in this series, um, I, I don't want to get into this again. I told Brendan I wasn't going to, so I'm just going to say it briefly. I still don't understand uh, Jason Hayward playing every day. And it's not just Jason Hayward. Like, Duffy's played a lot. Um, and you have, you know, Andrew Romine playing it short a lot. It, it's it's more just to say, like, we had two games here in Minnesota. You had an off day on Monday, and we didn't see Michael Hermosillo start either of these games. And I just don't get it is, is really more what it comes down to. It's it's not about any individual player, but I think I, get, I, I, think I do get I, it. You know, like, I'm, I, I, I just can you don't, explain I, it this, to me? This is the only logical explanation. I, I absolutely hate it, but I can't think of any other, other reason. Like, Ross wants Hayward on this team next year and wants to get him going. That's it. He values Hayward on this team. That's the only logical explanation, Corey. Why else would he, would he be playing over Hermosillo? I don't know. Uh, well, that's uh, it. I mean, that's, that's the answer. Yeah, okay. He thinks... He wants to get uh, he wants to get him going. Okay, uh, good luck with that, David. If that's what it what is, else is, let it? me know how that what goes else for you. Um, no, I, I I don't know. I I just I'm just frustrated that we're not seeing these guys, um, you know, more regularly. And I think you know some of the guys only got into the lineup on uh, Wednesday because of the. Uh, the late scratch to Matt Duffy at a, a sore neck. So I think that's what got some of these guys in there. And anyway, I digress. I, I'm just, I was annoyed that we didn't see Hermosillo start any of these games because you're trying to get a look at him. He was a later call up. You only have a little over a month now. Like, you got to play the guy. So I don't I mean, know. Maybe that they just don't think he's going to be a, a me, significant part of this team. I don't know. You Perhaps. I, I mean, you're certainly not going to figure that out with him getting <laughs> one pinch hit at bat in a two-game well, series against one of the worst teams Jed, in the man, league. But anyway, uh, let's talk about the pitching. So some interesting stuff in this series. Um, I, you know, Zach Davies was fine on Tuesday. He was better than he's been at times, but nobody really cares about him. So what I did want to focus on is we saw some some interesting things from from some of these relievers um, and a couple of non-relievers, maybe relievers, we don't really know, on Wednesday. Uh, but the first of which was Manny Rodriguez picking up another win on Tuesday in relief of Zach Davies. But going two innings, he did walk two guys, no strikeouts, uh, but didn't allow any hits, didn't allow any runs, threw 22 pitches over the course of two innings. So just interesting, you know, a, a multi-inning effort there. Um, you know, he's he's been getting in more games, 2.6 ERA, so still looking good. The stuff looks good, building up that confidence for Rodriguez there. 
And then, of course, Brendan, um, what we saw on Wednesday, mm-hmm. which was Justin Steele picking up a W, uh, his third win of the year, five innings, one hit, no runs, three walks, and three strikeouts. So too many walks, not quite enough strikeouts, but uh, overall, this was a, a solid outing, and it, it didn't necessarily look like he had that Crips crisp command. So he was able to kind of work through that 86 pitches over those five innings um, and ultimately picking up the W. So that's that's what you're looking for there. And then Adbert Alzali coming off the injured list, getting back out there in relief. And so we'll, we'll talk about him uh, a little bit more as that appears to be what his role is going to be for the rest of the season. But four innings, one hit, no runs, no walks, and five strikeouts. He was sitting around 96 miles an hour, uh, picks up his first career save in this opportunity. So that was, you know, there, there were some other, um, you know, performances in this series. Uh, Cody Hoyer did give up a few hits and a walk in one inning of work, but he picked up the hold, didn't allow any runs. Rowan Wick, two strikeouts in an inning of work, picking up his first save of the season on Tuesday. So kind of a lot to throw at you, but uh, we'll we'll delve into um, Steele and Alzali in a second. But anything from these other relievers, Wick, Rodriguez, Hoyer, that, that stood out to you or that, that was particularly interesting in these couple games? Well, I think Manny going multiple innings was interesting. I think of him as a max out type guy where he's coming out throwing 99, 100 miles per hour, but he went two innings and he looked pretty good doing it. I don't know if that's going to be in his future per se, but I was just surprised he did that. For Hoyer, Tommy Hadovy's comments on him I thought were really interesting. So Hoyer kind of has that weird like gunslinger type pitching motion almost if you remember him in years past with the Red Sox almost like a Justin Masterson type but also what makes him interesting with that release point that delivery is he has a hybrid four-seamer two-seamer and so Tommy Hadovy was talking about this how it's not really your trademark fastball it's kind of like uh, a grip in between a four-seam and a two-seam that's not dominant so his sinker quote-unquote sinker may look like such, but it's not moving like that. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. And then when you when you see his fastball spin rate being in like the you know 80th percentile, it just makes you think how unique of a pitch is that. And if it is that unique, maybe you know not being in the upper 90s for Velo is is that big of a deal. And then maybe he can be like a, a late high leverage guy in the eighth inning. So him, Manny looked encouraging. Wick is looking like the guy we saw when he was healthy before all that nonsense happened, before COVID and everything. So if you can project Wick being the same guy for next year, that's a win. I think Manny's going to be a staple in this in this bullpen, at least from day one out of the 2022 season. And then Hoyer is for sure going to be on this team. So right now, you already have three relievers who I think you're feeling good about. Confidence yeah. is different than feeling good, right? Uh, you know, they align, but like you can see it working out where these three guys are major contributors and that allows some breathing room where you don't have to go out and spend money maybe on bolstering that that bullpen. Right. Yeah, I, I think, and we, we've touched on this a little bit, but I, I think you've got some really interesting guys for this bullpen, and you're seeing them show you those flashes of what they can do, and I think you combine that with the confidence that we have in 
not only this front office, but the pitching infrastructure to identify guys on the cheaper end that they can bring in and get effective innings out of from the bullpen because they've been doing that for years now pretty successfully. So I I think, you know, you may have to make some additions, but I, I don't think you need to look at the bullpen as a spot where you need to, you know, drastically spend money just to have a competitive bullpen. I think you've got the makings of that already, and then you've seen this group be able to churn that out in the past with guys they bring in. Um, you know, we talk about it usually every spring training, reclamation projects, um, guys that never got a chance elsewhere, things like that. We've just seen them find a couple of those like diamonds in the rough every yeah. off season or every season and get effective innings out of guys you just aren't really expecting it out of or haven't seen it from in a couple of years or things like that. So I think that area is 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 pretty solid, especially with what you're seeing out of some of these guys. So let's talk about what we saw on Wednesday because it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So the combination, the piggyback of Justin Steele and Adbert Alzali uh, combined to shut out the Twins. They give up just two hits, uh, the three walks all coming from Justin Steele, eight strikeouts, five for Alzali, three for Steele. So a lot to kind of focus on here. Let's start with the ladder of the piggyback here um, because he's coming back, and I want to touch on him first, and that's Adbert Alzali. So the Cubs saying that to finish the season, for the most part, uh, I think David Ross said, unless things change in the rotation, and it's possible he gets back out there for a start. So, you know, nothing is 100% set in stone, but they're for the most part, going to have him coming out of the bullpen to finish this season. Now, part of that is coming off of the injury. You want to kind of ease that back. And also part of that is the innings and pitch limit that we had talked about pretty much the entire year, knowing that this would sort of show up at some point that they needed to kind of shut him down. So comes in and looked electric on Wednesday. Of course, you know, the twins suck, but he looked electric. The stuff passed the eye test. It looked really good. Got a lot of awkward swings. The five strikeouts, of course, no walks. Um, And I just want to read what Tommy Hadovy said about him coming out of the bullpen here for this last month or so, and then uh, we'll throw it to you, Brendan. But Tommy Hadovy said, quote, we knew we were limited on how many innings we had with him. So do we let him get two more starts and just let him go through the motions? Or do we let him have shorter stints and see if we can tick the stuff back up? Learn how to use more swing and miss stuff, how we can use the slider a little bit differently, or maybe be more aggressive, things like that. I think it's a good opportunity for him to kind of push himself, push himself going into this point of the season and not just say you're going to make three or four more starts and that's it. So yeah, I'm interested to see what it looks like. That is from Cubs pitching coach and uh, Brendan's idol, Tommy Hadovy. So um, what did you see from Adbert? On Wednesday, Brendan, what do you think about this, the, the, the decision to kind of see if they can get more stints out of him rather than uh, just, uh, you know, a couple of starts and kind of having to shut it down for the year? And, I, you know, I guess you, you said when he had gotten hurt the last time, you had kind of seen what you needed to see. 
from him in terms of Mm -hmm. believing in what he can do as a starter going into next year. So now that he is back, we know he's going to be able to get back out there, and we saw some really exciting stuff on Wednesday. Anything else you'd want to see from him or a a vision for how you'd like this month to go? And kind of uh, piggybacking off of what Hadavi's saying, you know, and, and learning how to play the stuff up a little bit and, and use these yeah, pitches sure. differently, uh, combine it all together. My initial reaction when I heard he was not going to come back as a starter, uh, disappointing, and not because that's where he's going to be as you know a pitcher, but disappointing because I wanted him to get those experiences starting in the first inning, not coming out in the fifth or sixth inning and maxing out for a few innings. I wanted Alzelite to act like a starter because he's going to be a starter next season. I mean, this is how it is. You have no choice. So I I was a little conflicted. Now, when you hear Hadavi talk about this, about maybe this change in role, which is a change in environment, is going to induce some epiphanies, perhaps, or rather push Alzelai to do things he normally would not do as a starter. And as a result, you gain skills, knowledge, whatever, that you can apply back to as a starter. So in in, in my perfect world, how I want to see this pan out for the rest of the season, I need maybe one more star from Alzelai. And this is, this is not because I need to see more. Like I just want Alzelai to be in a position where you're not exclusively throwing like a reliever for the next five to six weeks. Maybe that's not ultimately what ends up happening with him, but I want to see him get into a rhythm that's actually the same rhythm he's going to be using as a starter. And so I say this just because how he threw out of the pen against the Twins was very different than what he threw as a starter. As a starter, he was throwing a sinker basically like two out of every five pitches. So he used his heavy, heavy sinker first guy. And then he threw a slider about the same rate. So he's basically throwing sliders and sinkers nonstop. And we saw before the injury, he started throwing more changeups, a lot more changeups. He started throwing more cutters. He started throwing curveballs. He became almost like a five, a six pitch guy within a matter of three weeks. Now, He's not really looking like that, at least in this one outing. He threw mostly four seams. So he swapped his two seam and four seam usage, and he had results from it. I mean, he was touching and sitting 96, 97. Clearly, the stuff was working well. The slider had nasty action to it. And so when you hear Hadavi say, okay, well, maybe this will push Alzelai to have more swing and miss stuff. Maybe that's what he mean, means by that. And maybe what he takes away from coming out of the pen is more trust or more frequency with that forcing that will lead to more whiffs. Maybe that forcing plays better against left-handed batters, for example. So I don't know where I stand with it. Of course, I trust Hadavi in his pitching infrastructure to to develop the optimal routine. But separate from all of that, as as just like as a fan, like I wish, I I wanted to see Alzelai just start this month. That's it. I just wanted to see and continue to track that progression as a starter from day one. But now, kind of have to switch that thinking. Now you have to switch your thinking of all right, what's Alzelai going to do to get more whiffs out of that bullpen? And I think from day one we saw. 
that's going to be maybe more of a four-seam type thing that he'll be doing. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think you have, um, you know, more uh, strong opinions about the, the role specifically, but I was just glad to see him back. He looked great on Wednesday, and, um, you know, just looking forward to seeing what he can do over this last month ahead of what is likely to be a pretty big role in 2022. So um, just just get through this healthy this time, of course, coming off of the injury. and But you can't uh, tell we'll, me like you're not at least... Like, disappoint is a strong word, right? But you want to see Adverse start. Like, I, I think every fan wants to see Adverse start, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I think I, you know, obviously the goal is to be able to see that vision of him starting and, and yeah. getting it done, you know, kind of like we did earlier in the because year. Because you sounded like you were not, I mean, again, another strong word, but it sounded as if you weren't as sold. Like you you personally, which I think is the majority, still want to see more from him. And now he's not going to be able to showcase well, that I just, in that I, role. I, I think I wouldn't, I don't know that that would change by a couple of starts in September. And I, I just feel like he's coming off an injury and he was already on a, a pitch limit. So this is what they want to do. And I, you know, I think you you kind of articulated this uh, well, and it's, it's sort of just a trust in Hadavi that, um, you know, while he might be attacking things differently because he's coming out of the bullpen, um, there is stuff to be learned by doing that. And, and yeah. you know, whether it's trust in certain pitches or working off of certain pitches and things like that, I, I, I do th- think that there can be a benefit here. But I think, you know, they're, they're kind of between a rock and a hard place because of the injury and the pitch limit that they're just trying to figure out what the best thing to do is. So That's fair. looking at Justin Steele. Um, this was, you know, certainly not the best command that we've seen. Hit a batter, a few walks, um, and only three strikeouts. But the Twins also weren't hitting him. He hadn't given up a hit through three innings. Only allows one hit, and you know, altogether, despite the, you know, not not as strong of command. Overall, a very effective outing for Justin Steele, and you know, not throwing uh, over ninety pitches in this game, uh, only 86 in the five innings, you know, likely if he's more stretched out and, you know, this isn't, you know, his fourth start or whatever it is of his career here as starting games, you know, likely could have gone into that sixth inning, pushed 100 pitches and, you know, gone for the quality start there. So I think all things considered, this was a pretty solid effort, but anything in particular that you saw from the way that he was using his pitches tonight? Uh, Quite a big change. So, Similar to how we talked about sinker, sinker, sinker for everyone else, Steele came up through sinkers in his first start on in in early August from uh, back from AAA. Then in his most recent two starts before this one against the Twins, he said no more sinker. I'm going to throw mostly four seams and then mostly sliders. So I was a little curious why he was doing that and if he eventually would go back to throwing more sinkers well this was a start he did that so against the twins he threw 86 pitches he threw 35 sinkers in those 86 pitches that was the most of any of his pitch types and then he threw 26 four seams 14 sliders nine curveballs and two changeups he threw five pitches he's a five pitch guy but he heavy loaded those pitches with sinkers, four seams, and sliders. Interestingly, he did walk three guys. Watching the game, it looked like his command with the sinker was acceptable. And maybe he was missing a little bit inside, but he wasn't missing by a lot. And so I think the command 
the misses were competitive. We've heard about that with, I think, Tyler Chatwood, even Dylan Mables, and he's back up right now, um, which is a discussion for a different day. But we've heard the term competitive uh, misses, and I think that's what Steele delivered. Now, the other bad pitches that led to walks, those were all in secondary pitches. Like, he was spiking, I think, a little bit too many sliders than what we've seen from him at his best. So when you couple that with just missing with the sinkers marginally and then spiking a little bit too many uh, breaking pitches, that's that's where the walks came in. But I would like my starting pitcher to have strong fastball command, and it looked as if in this start he was trending in that direction. It was competitive. And I do like that he went back to being a dominant sinker guy because that's what led in his first start to only one walk and it looked better and yeah he got fewer whiffs but he also got a lot of weak contact and he looked to be more in control and I feel as if he was pretty close to looking like that same guy against twins just missing a little bit inside um, that I think will get ironed out so all in all I thought it was a great start to be fully honest like I think given what we've seen so far you want to see him continue to change things and and tinker with things and try to find his groove and in 86 pitches to not allow any runs and marginally miss with your fastball that's that's what I would like to see going forward just continuing to take these baby steps to get to a point where he is uh, a projectable guy well at least with some confidence for 2022 yeah so Marquis shared this note uh, since 1997 Cubs rookie starting pitchers who threw at least five innings in a game and allowed just one hit or fewer, uh, and zero runs. That list includes Kerry Wood, his 20 strikeout game on May 6th of 1998, Sean Marshall in six innings of work on May 17th, 2006, and Justin Steele tonight. That's it. There you go. So only since 1997, but that's Uh, not bad company to be in on a list that only includes three people. So it was a very nice outing from Steele. And I think, you know, again, looking at these two, like the, the, the best outcome here for, for these two. And, you know, if you include Keegan Thompson is of course that the Cubs find themselves three starters who are great and they just fill out the rotation with all three of those guys, right? That's, Likely not going to happen. Right. That's the best case scenario. So when you're looking at something like Wednesday, obviously we want Adver to be in the rotation. That's going to be the Cubs' plan come next year. It, it's not how he was utilized tonight. But the the point for me is just it is similar to Schwindel. It's what I said earlier. Like you just want to see them doing productive things, right? And however they did it, tonight it was in a piggyback. We've seen both of these guys have success out of the bullpen. We've seen Adbert have really great dominant starts of his own, longer than five innings and stuff. But tonight, the two of them combined to shut out a Major League Baseball team and give up two hits, right? That's great. It is. So what their role is come next year, how the rest of this month goes, we'll see. But tonight, they were both really good 
uh, in different ways, and you see what they can put together going forward. But tonight, they did really well getting major league hitters out, and that's what we want to see from them. So for me, it's all just about that progress, right? Like, you, you don't have to have them in a defined role this moment. They don't have to be performing at that level in this moment if you're talking about future success in 2022 and stuff like that. But tonight, they both got in there. They both did a really great job, and that's progress for me, right? I mean, that's what so, you need. Every start going forward, every appearance, you want to see progress, right? Yes. And I think you checked the box on both of those guys tonight. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think also, you know, just from like a narrative perspective, like it's it's kind of cool to see two guys, you know, from the Cubs system come in here and, you know, they, they've, Adbert's gotten a shot before, but Steele getting his shot primarily here this year. And it was just those two tonight. You know, there were no veterans out of the bullpen or anything like that. It was just a couple guys who we've seen, you know, for years in the Cubs system coming in and pitching a shutout, combining to pitch a shutout. I think that that's cool, especially with how much focus, you know, rightfully so has been on, you know, the lack of the ability for the Cubs to develop pitching. And tonight, if just for a night, it was, it was very nice and very productive from these two. Okay, we have more Cubs baseball. That's a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how you want to look at it. But we Sounds have... like a threat. <laughs> it does sound like a threat. Uh, this is going to be a, a stupid series. They're playing the Pirates. So the Pirates suck even, even worse than the Cubs. Uh, so a lot of losing baseball uh, that you'll see this weekend. First game starts Thursday, night game, Wrigley Field. We have Keegan Thompson on the mound for the Cubs on the year. Keegan is 3-3, three and three, a 3.09 ERA. He'll be facing Keller for the Pirates, who's 4-10, is 6.75 ERA. That game starts 7.05 p.m. once again. Friday, afternoon game, typical 1.20 start time. We have brought on the mound for the Pirates. He on the year is winless, 0-3, a 4.57 ERA. Alc Mills gets another start for the Cubs. He's been doing really well lately. FIP on the year is 3.9, ERA on the year is 4.3, record is 6-6. Six six. On Saturday, Pittsburgh has not announced a starter yet. The Cubs do have Hendricks on the mound that day. Hendricks on the year, 14-6, a 4.4 ERA. The home run has bitten him lately. Maybe we'll get into that in future episodes. And then on Sunday, another afternoon game. So we have one night game on Thursday. The rest are afternoon games. Sunday, 1.20 p.m., Zach Davies, who cares? It's, it sucks to even keep seeing him because he's so irrelevant. Zach Davies on the mound for the Cubs, 6-10, a 4.9 ERA. He sucks. We have Crow on the mound for the Pirates. He is 3-7, a 5.46 ERA. He also sucks. I don't expect many people to be watching that game on Sunday. Uh, the Pirates are 48 and 85. Terrible record. The Cubs are 59 and 75. This is like your, uh, what is this? It's going to be like your 2011 type game where both these teams suck or like early 2000s, like 2000, 2001 when both teams sucked. So that's what we have. Uh, what I'm watching for this series is Keegan Thompson. Keep an eye on that uh, changeup. Keep an eye on those secondary pitches beyond his cutter. Uh, and fastball command has been an issue, I think, with Keegan Thompson. Other than that, 
it's obvious Schwindel, Wisden, Ortega, Hermosillo, we want to get more playing time for him. Ian Happ has been doing well, had a nice series once again, a home run from the right side against the Twins. We'll see how that pans out as the season goes along. But that's the obvious. And then, of course, one last note is the back-end trio with Manny Rodriguez, uh, Hoyer, and Wick. So those are three guys that, at this point, should be written down in the Cubs bullpen for 2022. Yeah, I think pretty similar, obviously. You don't want to see something from Thompson, you know, um, especially coming off of what we saw from Steele and Alzali on Wednesday. You know, you've got a month here, and this is only going to be his third start in this uh, version of stretching him out. But, you know, not not a great outing. The last time wasn't even able to get through a few innings before Ross had to pull him against a tough White Sox team. So just, you know, want to see, um, you know, kind of like we just talked about, just progress, right? Something that you would mark as progress from Keegan Thompson in this next start as we go along in this experiment. And then uh, other than the stuff Brendan mentioned, uh, just something to keep in mind that the next time Patrick Wisdom homers, he will be tying the Cubs all-time rookie home Look run record. I'm not going to mention who holds that record. Who, who because holds it's going it, Corey? To upset Say the name. Brendan. Say the name. Who holds it? It's held by Christopher Lee Bryant. Ah, uh, Corey. I don't know why you made me do that just why? to upset you. I'm about uh, to go watch Patrick the Giants Wisdom, game right now. Patrick Wisdom needs one to tie, two to set the record. So that is something to be keeping an eye out for. Bittersweet. Watch this weekend uh, of two not very good teams. So not a great. Uh, if you're looking for like great baseball, this is not the week for it. Cubs and Twins, Cubs and Pirates. That's not. Uh, yeah, not where I, not where I would be looking for for great quality. Just uh, so that game is not going to be a Sunday night baseball. Had no chance. I I don't think so. They could always okay. flex it in, but I yeah. I don't think they're going okay. to. All right, yeah. good to know. So. So that is what we have for you. Just a quick couple games here. So obviously, you know, perhaps uh, a lot more to dig into on Sunday as we'll have four games here with the Pirates. So certainly a lot more action for us to cover. But uh, either way, we will talk to you on Sunday when the Cubs wrap up with the Pirates. As always, we thank you guys for listening to and supporting the Cubs-related podcast in the many ways that you do. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you soon, and as always, go Cubs.